0: You're watching Global BC.
1: This is Global News Hour at six.
2: Good evening and thanks for joining us. Another major fracture in Mayor Doug McCallum's Safe Surrey Coalition.
1: Today a third councillor announced his resignation from the party. Catherine Urquhart has more on Jack Hundile's departure and what he says was the final straw. Catherine.
3: Chris Jackhundle says two things have prompted him to abandon the Safe Surrey Coalition. One, the mayor's overall lack of consultation and the mayor's decision to scrap the Public Safety Committee. When Doug McCallum was elected Surrey's mayor last year, council unanimously supported his plan to remove the RCMP in favour of a municipal force. But major disagreements have followed. Jack Hundal is now the third councillor to abandon McCallum's Safe Surrey Coalition.
4: When you start with, uh, with seven councillors of your team and you're left with uh, four, Um, within the first term. I think that should be a very clear message.
3: The former Mountie says he can't support plans for fewer officers at a higher cost to
4: taxpayers. The whole transition, uh, um, you know, that report was produced over 113 days, which is really not enough time to adequately consult with everyone. And uh, so as a result, we see this very flawed report being submitted uh, to the province now.
3: Stephen Pettigrew left safe Surrey in May. Brenda Locke walked away from McCallum's party last month.
5: There's been a lot of frustration trying to work with uh, this mayor.
3: Could there be more departures? Doug McCallum released a statement saying... The majority we have on council is solid and strongly united. I can assure you the Safe Surrey Coalition is now even more focused and energized to deliver on what we promised to the voters of Surrey. I think we have a very strong majority and we're really excited about just moving things forward and doing what we said we were going to do on the campaign. Safe Surrey's four councillors all say they will remain part of McCallum's team. What does Hundle's decision mean for Surrey's transition to a municipal force? Well, according to the Ministry for Public Safety and the Solicitor General, it doesn't really mean anything. They say they will continue to work with the city on their proposed transition.
2: Chris?
1: All right. Thank you, Catherine.
2: A new report backs up what many... What many minimum wage earners in Vancouver already know, even working full-time, it's next to impossible to find an affordable apartment. Aaron MacArthur has a closer look at the drastic divide.
5: Trimming hedges or slinging coffee for pretty close to minimum wage is hard work. And at the end of the day... Most of that ends up in the pockets of landlords. It's shocking when almost nowhere in the country can a person earning minimum wage uh, afford the average one or uh, two-bedroom rental apartment. A new report from the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives paints a bleak picture for renters in Vancouver. On a minimum wage, a worker would have to put in 84 hours a week to afford a typical one-bedroom apartment, 112 hours a week for a two-bedroom home, in order for that two-bedroom apartment to be considered affordable, a worker would have to make 35 bucks an hour, according to housing advocates. None of this should come as a surprise. You know, you got to cut back on on necessities like food, transit, just you know things that a lot of us see as necessities. Housing advocates say the issue is not how much, but where housing needs to be built. In Vancouver, the problem has been made much worse by protecting single-family homes.
6: The area that we're in right now, Fairview, is already very dense. It would be a mistake to look at the rental housing crisis and conclude that we need more rental housing here. It's already here. The
5: issue is that just south of here, there are vast swaths of land that have no rental housing or very little at all. Housing already played a role in last year's municipal elections and will likely be an issue in the fall federally. Politicians of all stripes promising greater investment in rental housing. We're not even at the levels uh, of investment that we were uh, 30 years ago in the 80s and 90s. And and we're certainly not catching up on the backlog that we missed by dropping out for so long. Without government support, it is workers on the lowest rungs of the ladder that are at risk of dropping off the
1: bottom. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Day two of the inquiry into BC's high gas prices heard from an economist who studied the gasoline industry and says there's definitely price gouging going on. Ted Chernecki has more on why Robin Allen says the industry is broken and what needs to be done to fix it. It was a very different story told today at the Utilities Commission inquiry,
0: one that motorists have long suspected, and that is an allegation that the oil industry has been price gouging simply because it can. An independent economist who has studied gasoline pricing extensively told the Commission that these repeated claims by the industry that it's a supply shortage that's driving up prices is bogus. She says there never has been a supply shortage. She also says the claims that the Trans Mountain pipeline is at capacity is questionable.
2: Oh, a twin pipeline will not solve the problem, because refiners and, and retailers in BC charge what the market will bear, and they're not gonna change their behavior whether or not a new pipeline's built. But the other reason it's not gonna solve the problem is there's no intention to deliver more refined product to BC after the pipeline is built.
0: Allen showed the commission that while the industry was claiming that there were these supply shortages, it was actively exporting thousands of barrels of diesel and gasoline. And the price of the pump continued to rise. She says it's time for a change.
2: To to sit in this situation where British, British Columbia motorists are being harmed at the pump, when a lot of this problem could be fixed by addressing how the product is shipped down the pipeline right now, uh, that's beyond me that they haven't done it.
0: Alan also told the Commission what every motorist already knows, and that's prices rise really quickly and fall really slowly. And she says that could be for any number of reasons, be it trouble in the Middle East, flooding in the American Midwest, or some refinery maintenance, whatever. She even joked that at some point, maybe a butterfly in Mongolia flaps its wings, and that somehow affects prices here in the Lower Mainland. But seriously, she said, the fact that prices rise quickly and fall so slowly shows that this market is not competitive. Ted Trineck, Global News, in Vancouver.
2: The province releasing some big numbers today, showing B.C.'s highest paid executives, 10 highest paid public executives. Keith Baldry joins us live in Victoria with the lowdown on who made the list. Keith.
7: Yes, the annual release for the public accounts comes the release of the salaries that people in the public sector earn in terms of executive positions. We're talking about the presidents and CEOs of public agencies and public bodies such as universities and crown corporations. So I'm not going to show you all top 10, but I'm going to show you the top five, uh, including the top guy, uh, Thomas Bouchard, the CEO of uh, PowerX, by far earns the most. Total compensation, salary, pension and bonuses adds up to more than $938,000 for the energy trading arm head of BC Hydro. Santa J. Ono, the president and vice chancellor of UBC, is next at just over $600,000 in uh, total compensation for him. Also, uh, in the top five, Chris O'Reilly, the CEO and president of BC Hydro, taking $554,000 home in total compensation. Also, another public entity is the BC Securities Commission. The chair of that, Brenda Leong, just north of a half a million dollars is her total. And finally, Chris, uh, or Ken Kretney. Uh, from the B.C. Pavilion Corporation at $472,000. The other rounding out the top ten, Sophie, are other university presidents and executives of Crown Corporations such as ICBC and BC Hydro. Again, this list is made public every every year for the last number of years. Uh, Always nice to see how much people are earning in the top positions (laughs) at the public entities in B.C.
2: Oh, if only it were us, Keith. Now, any chance those (laughs) salaries will look any different next year? Higher, perhaps?
7: They will look different, and they will likely be higher. I just looked back at the the top 10 again. Nine of the top 10 on the list uh, this year, most of them were on the list last year, uh, their total compensation increased on average about $40,000 from 2017-18 to 2018-19. So again, those salaries are likely to get larger, not smaller.
2: All right. Thanks, Keith.
1: Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is paying another pre-election visit to B.C. today, this time with transit money for the Victoria area. Trudeau pledging $31 million towards the purchase of new low-emission buses for Greater Victoria, a small number of which will be electric. Greater Victoria Transit wants the capital region to be the first community in B.C. to have an electric bus fleet, and it's been testing one bus since July of last year. By partnering with the Government of British Columbia, BC Transit, and municipalities, we're investing in the future of this province. By making sure that people keep moving and stay moving, we'll strengthen the middle class, protect the environment,
6: and make our towns and cities even better places to live. Merci beaucoup,
8: mes amis. It's great to be home in BC.
1: Right now, though, there has been an outpouring of support and generosity for a woman we told you about yesterday. Julie Callahan suffered a life-altering injury after trying to save a man in a wheelchair who was stuck at a railway crossing.
2: She faces more surgery and will require an, ex- an expensive prosthetic. But after speaking to Global News, she's getting offers of help. And again, a warning, some of the images are graphic.
9: Oh, It's been more than a year of pain... And painful treatments for Julie Callahan. Her hand was mangled while trying to save a man who'd become stuck on the train tracks in his wheelchair in Chilliwack. Callahan's hand was struck by the train.
10: I have a nervous, central nervous system malfunction. We believe that it's because my hand got stuck at the time of accident. So and my hand is in like a broken state.
9: Callahan is to the point where amputating three fingers is the best treatment option. But because she's not losing her hand on or above the wrist, the cost of a prosthetic isn't covered.
10: I'm not covered by ICBC. I'm not covered by a work safe. Our extended health doesn't cover digits. Part of me has, has often said, why didn't I just lose my arm or my hand the night of the accident? Because we wouldn't be here. BC's health minister was asked about Callahan on Wednesday.
1: Obviously the case has been brought to my attention and we'll be having answers and engagement with the individual uh, in the coming days.
9: The ministry also states the process for acquiring prosthetics is that a prosthetist will submit an application to Pharmacare for pre-approval for the device. Pharmacare will then review the application.
10: Just a matter of how are you going to pay for that without losing your house
9: since going public, Callahan has been overwhelmed by people wanting to help her raise money to get a prosthetic. She estimates it could cost $80,000 or more.
10: I'm in a moment of now of gratefulness and thankfulness with all of the support that I've received. That I'm kind of on this high of it'll it's going to get done.
9: Jill Bennett, Global News.
2: A number of rescues this afternoon, two involving overturned boats where it's not believed anyone was seriously injured. And in Nanaimo,
1: a technical rescue for a woman who fell more than 30 feet while trying to climb down from the walkway near Promenade Drive. She hit the rocks and injured her leg. At first, crews thought a rope rescue would be required, but instead she was moved from the rocks to a search and rescue vessel and then to a waiting ambulance. All right, we're going to bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon now for more on the wind, because it was quite windy out there today. Uh, Definitely blustery, Christy.
11: Yes, definitely, but mainly for those of you out on the water, which this time of year, a lot of people are out enjoying the water. I'm having a bit of a problem with my graphics, but what I wanted to show you is uh, that we had a strong westerly flow across the region Aloft. And when that flow moves across Vancouver Island, it sort of gets uh, mixed up a little bit, but then it comes over the other side, and we had quite a bullseye right off the coast of Vancouver there. Uh, we saw gusts up to 50 kilometers an hour, but it was very sporadic, so uh, the Gulf Islands didn't see much wind at all, uh, whereas we saw strong winds right into the uh, English Bay Area, and that certainly caused some problems. We also have a risk of thunderstorms today, so I'll show you that when I come back, Chris.
1: Bit of a problem for Will's uh, sailing lessons today. Yes. Yeah, it canceled Strong. sailing lessons out there in English Bay. Thanks, Christy. The trial of the Victoria father who has pleaded not guilty to the killing of his young daughters continued today. The woman who lived in the apartment above Andrew Barry was back on the stand.
2: She is the only witness to testify that she heard unusual noises from the suite on Christmas Day in 2017.
12: Raminadea picks up the story. What was the motive? Why would Andrew Barry try to kill his daughters? For three months, defense has been trying to convince the jury. Someone else stabbed the girls more than 50 times, then attacked Barry because he was in serious financial trouble and had a severe gambling addiction. Barry's neighbor, Valley Travers, had testified. After hearing loud banging and crashing noises, like bookcases coming down in Barry's apartment early Christmas morning, it was silent until around 5 p.m. when the crashing started again. And Travers said she heard yelling and Barry's voice crying out. It was like a wail. It sounded like there was anger in it, directed toward the intruders. Who are these intruders? Police, first responders or someone else? It has not been clarified in court. Crown's theory, Barry killed his kids and tried to commit suicide because he was in extreme debt. He couldn't pay his rent. He was depressed and he hated his ex because he thought she was trying to take his kids from him. Romina Day Global News. First Nations chiefs gathering in New
2: Westminster today to honor an indigenous leader who was wrongfully hanged 154 years ago.
1: The commemoration of Chief Fahan, recognized by the city of New Westminster, which is now ready to acknowledge the injustices of the past. Linda Ailsworth reports.
8: 154 years ago, on this very site, in front of the old New Westminster Courthouse, First Nations Chief Ahan was wrongly executed. Just across the street at the current courthouse, what remains of the statue of the man responsible for the hangings of five other chiefs found guilty of the same crime in Williams Lake, Justice Matthew Begbie.
6: When I, you read the history books about Judge Begbie, it's glowing. He was a really nice guy, learned everybody's language.
8: Even so, he ordered the executions for the chief's roles in the deaths of construction workers in the Chilcotin War.
6: There were grave injustices that our history books do not do justice to, and you need to hear
8: both sides of the story. The full story is that the chiefs were defending their territory, which a road was being constructed through without their permission. They were also defending their people, some of whom had been raped, and many of whom had died from smallpox, which they feared would be introduced again.
7: Our warriors, the people he executed, were protecting our laws when our women were violated. If you're going to tell the story, tell the full story.
8: Last year, the federal government acknowledged the injustice by exonerating all six chiefs. And a few days ago, the city of New Westminster removed the statue of Judge Begbie.
0: For this to come down, this means an honour and a step in the right direction for our people to start working with
8: one another. Where Chief Ahan is buried, we're not sure but uh, it would be either on this part or the, the circular part. Both being on the grounds of New Westminster Secondary School, the site of a massive pauper cemetery. In the spirit of reconciliation, it will all be turned into a passive park after the school is torn down in the next few years. Linda Aylesworth, Global News.
1: At least 33 people are now confirmed dead, more than a dozen still missing after a deadly fire at an animation studio in Japan. Officials say the fire was intentionally set at the production facility located in Kyoto. Among the injured is the suspect, who officials say was neither a current nor former employee. Police say he ignited a liquid substance, setting off an explosive fire that rapidly consumed the three-story building.
2: Details tonight of the largest mafia bust in Ontario's history.
1: The 18-month-long project, dubbed as Project Syndicato, has led to many arrests and $35 million in crime proceeds seized. Global's Mark Carcassol breaks it all down.
4: Looking at the items seized in the police raids makes one realize maybe crime does pay, till it doesn't. 27 upscale homes, 23 high-end cars, millions in cash, fancy liquor bottles and Rolexes. In total, York Regional Police and their partners seized $35 million worth of property in an operation known as Project Syndicato.
13: The largest traditional organized crime operation here at York Regional Police in our history.
4: These digital gambling machines were taken from some of the 11 illegal gambling houses police raided. It was just one way they say the Vaughan-based Filio Meni crime family made money. And the loans made to patrons to keep them gambling, regardless of the amount of debt that they would incurred. The astronomical interest rate, or JUICE as it's known, keeps the organization in a continual flow of illegal funds while members of this criminal organization used intimidation and violence, including shootings, arsons, and other threats of harm to collect their outstanding debts. The violence against people and property is what initially sparked the 18-month investigation. Police say the accused laundered the dirty money through businesses, charities, and by cashing in large sums and gambling some of it away at casinos across Ontario. Fifteen arrests were made in Ontario, nine alleged main players in the Filio Mene family. Charges relate to everything from working for a criminal organization to running a gaming house, fraud and money laundering. Among those main players is the boss, Angelo Filiomeni. Salvatore Olivetti was also arrested. Police allege he laundered money through his financing company, Option B.
9: We get a rev it up for the kids.
4: Olivetti is known for his involvement in the Rev It Up for Sick Kids charity. The latest event took place less than two weeks ago, raising $1 million for the children's hospital. We are not focused on the charity. We have no information that the charity is in any way, shape or form involved. Police say one of the accused is still outstanding. 46-year-old Giacomo Cassano. We've been in contact with him. Uh, We've been in contact with his counsel. Uh, We urged him to turn himself in, which has not happened yet. Police feel these arrests will shake the organization to the core because working with the CRA, they've managed to gather paper trails and math as evidence, more reliable than unwilling or nervous witnesses. Documentary evidence is not afraid. Mark Carcassel, Global News.
2: Global News has learned the federal government has reached a deal to compensate the plaintiffs in a class-action lawsuit alleging sexual misconduct in the Canadian Armed Forces. The settlement comes more than four years after former Supreme Court Justice Marie Deschamps released a landmark report identifying what she called an underlying sexualized culture in the military that was hostile to women and LGBTQ2 members. The settlement was just finalized today. There will be an $800 million cap on settlements for military victims and a $100 million cap for civilians. It's expected potentially tens of thousands of individuals will file claims under the settlement.
1: Toronto is taking some rather unusual steps to close the remaining illegal cannabis dispensaries in that city.
2: As Global's Sean O'Shea reports, they're throwing some serious weight behind their fight.
1: They
14: moved in before dawn. Toronto bylaw officers shutting down two locations of cafe, lowering concrete blocks to seal off stores. The operators don't have a license to sell cannabis products legally.
0: We found evidence of them selling cannabis illegally, so then we had planned to take further enforcement action, which include placement of those large concrete
14: blocks. Concrete blocks were used because when stores were previously shut down, the city says the owners went back in started operating again.
0: We had issued closure orders and done what's called a barring of entry. They violated that barring of entry, meaning they broke back in and were, recommenced business, so that's why we took the actions we did today.
14: At One point it was believed that someone was trapped inside by the concrete block maneuver. Not true, the city says. Nobody was blocked in, nobody was hiding. The shutdown of the blocks, not welcomed by some.
7: It's just, come on, it's just wrong, in a sense of like, Pretty much telling people not to buy something.
14: Many residents don't understand why the city is pursuing businesses since cannabis is a legal product. you think they should just be allowed to open legally? Yeah, sure, if you're selling a product and it's legal, why not? What do you think of the idea of blockading the store like this? I think they're nuts for doing that. And the city isn't convinced these blocks will be enough. These operations are making
0: thirty dollars to $50,000 per day per location. We're talking millions of dollars. But this is all illegal money.
14: Some other neighbours told us off camera they welcome the blocks, that the pot shop itself was a blight on the neighbourhood and that there have been many complaints. One woman with a medical marijuana licence told me she gets her marijuana delivered at home. There's no reason, she says, for a store like this in the first place. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Toronto.
2: Donald Trump is responding to the backlash from what many see as a low point in his term as president. Supporters chanting, send her back.
1: It started after Trump made a direct reference to criticism from Democrat Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. But the president's version of events doesn't match up with what the cameras captured.
15: The chant, easy to hear, but for some, hard to listen to. Democrats and a few Republicans appalled at the words, send her back, erupting from the crowd at the president's North Carolina rally, referencing Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, who escaped war-torn Somalia
11: as a child. I'm really worried for our country. I really am. It is about creating a volatile environment in this country through violent rhetoric.
0: The chant was offensive. It's just uh, just wrong.
15: Omar herself quoting Maya Angelou, like air, I'll rise, defending her right to make the at times controversial comments on foreign policy that have angered Republicans.
12: We tell people that here in the United States, dissent
15: is patriotic here in the united states disagreement is welcome debate is welcome the president today trying to distance himself from the chant but he's the one who initially suggested omar and three other democrats all u.s citizens go back to their home countries
6: i was not happy when i heard that chant i didn't like that they did it and i started speaking very quickly
15: he did not start speaking quickly instead waiting 13 seconds before continuing on
6: omar has a history of launching vicious anti-Semitic screeds.
1: And coming up a little bit later, why an Ontario hockey dad is calling out Eric Trump over this recent tweet. We'll explain. Coming up.
2: In Health Matters tonight, B.C. is boosting funding for families who have children with special needs. Katrine Conroy, B.C.'s Minister of Children and Family Development in Surrey this morning, making the $6.3 million funding announcement. $5 million of that money will be used to reduce the respite wait list. The government will also be boosting the annual base amount of respite funding that families receive, which hasn't been increased since it was first established in 1989
8: unfathomable to think that the the same amount of money has been paid out for 30 years but effective as of April this year um, we've increased that rate by 10 percent so for those parents that's additional funds that could mean an extra night away with a partner an opportunity to spend one-on-one time with other children or just the rare chance for some good old-fashioned downtime respite gives parents the opportunity to recharge but it, it also benefits the children (laughs) <laughs> it's okay.
2: <laughs> Remember this viral video after the forecast? We'll tell you how it was used by Eric Trump and why the Ontario hockey dad wants an apology. That's good.
1: That is good. Uh, and so is the weather, it looks like, for the rest of the week and into the weekend. Let's check with Christy now for an update.
11: Mm-hmm. Lots to look forward to, that's for sure. Summer is here, everyone. <laughs> First, I wanted to show you, so strong wind warning, mainly just out in the water. Uh, so if you're headed down there, you're going to need a sweater later on today. We'll see the winds overnight. They'll finally ease up tomorrow, just as the sun and ridge of high pressure begins to build. This is the scene out there right now. Looks bright in this image, but there's some dark, ominous clouds off in the distance, and we do have a chance of showing. Showers and a risk of thunderstorms for the remainder of the day. Today, you can see a few cells starting to push across the Strait of Georgia, and we've got lightning strikes. There was a thunderstorm in the Comox area just earlier. So watch for that tonight. Of course, if you hear thunder, make sure you head indoors, especially with the little tykes, to keep everyone safe. Severe thunderstorm watch in effect for the Fort Nelson region. We did have a warning earlier today. That has now ended, but we're still watching. Still the potential for some severe thunderstorms. And down in the southeast, the East Cooney region, Down power lines. In fact, Highway 93 is closed. They have single-lane alternating traffic going on just east of the uh, Cranbrook area. And that was because of a thunderstorm there. Non-severe, but enough strength that it really pulled down the power lines. And look at this in the West Kootenai region. Also a tree down on power lines at Highway 3 in the West Kootenai region. So despite the fact that we had no severe thunderstorms down in the south, quite a lot of action today. Now, tomorrow things are going to settle down we are going to see a few showers in the north still a risk of thunderstorms in the bc peace river area fort st john in particular but down through the south we have some showers expected for valmont down through revelstoke otherwise a mix of sun and cloud and temperatures near seasonal will be at near seasonal temperatures also slight chance of showers through the fraser valley likely maple ridge area in the morning but then that should clear up and we've got four days of sunshine on the way showers return on wednesday though and i'll leave you with a shot from the english bay area today showing some white caps out there but still a lot of people out enjoying
2: i bet looks great Rank Thanks, Thanks, Black. Mm-hmm. Good picture, thank you, Frank. An Ontario father is calling out President Trump's son Eric for using an image of his son to push a political message. The image, taken from a video that went viral.
3: Okay, it's okay. I'm gonna
2: have nap. so
8: cute.
1: <laughs> it was okay. so cute. That is. Four-year-old Mason Repke from Barrie, Ontario, his dad put a microphone on him to get a sense of what he's thinking while he's out on the ice. And it was an image from a story that Global News did about Mason that Eric Trump used in a tweet that caused a Twitter storm.
2: Yeah, Eric Trump wrote, Watching the Democrats reminds me of peewee hockey. Funny, makes zero sense, and they can't get out of their own way. Well, Mason's dad tweeted back to Trump with this response. Maybe don't use a picture of my kid for your political propaganda. Also, I don't think you know what peewee hockey is, because this ain't it. Oh Rupke referring there to the fact that Mason's age bracket is not classified as peewee, because peewee is 11 and 12-year-olds, and Mason is clearly not that.
1: And Rupke got a lot of support on Twitter, and while he says uh, an apology would be nice, he's not expecting one. Eric, Trump's tweet has since been taken down. All right, Barry's here with sports. It was supposed to be the, the big homecoming for Rory. It just didn't quite work out yeah, the, the way they were all
6: hoping. Did yeah, really
2: say you can't go home again? Or you-
6: yeah, well, the air went out of the balloon after like 10 <laughs> seconds. Right. I mean- big downer for all the all the people in Northern Ireland who came to see Rory play. Yeah, the uh, the Open Championship is is part golf tournament, part NASCAR race, because along with brilliant shots, we also see spectacular crashes, and round one at Royal Portrush in Northern Ireland saw a couple of golf's biggest names battered and bruised after some major pileups. The uh, Open Championship returning to Northern Ireland and Royal Portrush for the first time since 1951, and proud native son Darren Clark, who won the open a championship in 2011 with the honor of the first tee shot of the tournament and got a nice little bounce to keep it on the fairway and then the 15 year old or 15 year old rather I guess he wish he was 15 fittingly knocks in the birdie he had a decent opening round even par 71 but that's as good as it got for Northern Ireland on this day because Rory McIlroy, who's been waiting for this moment for a while, holds the course record at Royal Port Russia. 61 when he was just 16 years old, but the nerves maybe got to him. Opening tee shot hits it out of bounds. Made an eight on the opening hole, a snowman. All of us can relate to that. It got worse. 16th hole, this is for par. That happens. You pull the odd one. But... You missed a couple... That's, what, six inches away? Eight inches? Missed that one, too. Double bogey. Made a seven on his final hole. Eight over 79 for Rory, who needs to go very low tomorrow just to make the cut and play the weekend. Tiger Woods does not do well in the cool weather at his current age, and it was chilly today. Not a good sign on Tiger's first swing of the day, either. Just an iron as well, and look at him wince here in pain. Reminds us of uh, a decade ago when he was really in trouble with his back. It would turn out to be a rather painful day for Tiger at the sixth. Third shot, green side, just air mails it into the rough, led to a double bogey. Tiger looked uncomfortable and tired all day long. Of course, he was so brilliant at the Masters, but uh, just did not have it today. Like I said, that cold weather, not good for his back. The only bright spot on 15 from long distance Tiger with the unlikely birdie is only one of the day. He's tied for 144th at 7 over 78. Plenty of work ahead to make the cut. Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin in one of those deep bunkers at 13. Great shot, though, to save his par. And Adam is at 3 over 74. In the top 100 right now, Brooks Kepka. it's a major, so therefore he's right in the mix. Birdies the 14th, Kepka 3-under-68, tied for third. It's American J.B. Holmes who had the best round of the day. Birdies his final hole, 5-under-66, and Holmes leads Shane Lowry from Ireland by one. Canadian content, Corey Connors with a 1 over 72, Hadwin with the 74. The cut should be right around plus 2 or 3. By the way, David Duval shot a 91. He had a 14 on a par 5 after he lost a couple of balls and also played the wrong ball for a few shots. Here's Rory on his miserable first round. If anything, I think people wanted it more for me than i I mean, obviously, I want I wanted and I, I wanted to play well. You know, it was almost as if that first tee shot settled me down a little bit it's like well can't really start much worse than this so we may as well just get the head down and keep going you know whenever you play your first and last holes in a combined seven over par um it's going to be a pretty a pretty tough day it's one of these grandstands but oh I guess we don't have anything we'll oh, there be Nick Taylor of Abbotsford at the Barbasol Championship in Kentucky that's for all the players not playing at the open and he's got uh, just second place just one back and win some big money to help his tour card and FedEx Cup chances. All right, LPGA has a team event this week in Michigan. Brooke Henderson and fellow Canadian Elena Sharp right in the thick of things, playing best ball today. Brooke with the birdie putt at the 12th, got to minus eight. And then on 13, Sharp from just off the green chips it in for birdie. Henderson and Sharp at 9-under, tied for fourth, just one off the lead. So Canadians doing well all around the world. Seattle's NHL expansion franchise made its first major hockey management hire today. They've named Ron Francis as their general manager. He was GM in Carolina from 2014 to 18. The Seattle franchise, still unnamed, begins play in just over two years. The Whitecaps are officially in free-fall mode. They got blown out again last night in New England, 4-0 by the Revolution. In their last three MLS matches, the Caps have lost by scores of 6-1, 3-0, and 4-0, and they've given up 13 consecutive goals without scoring one. They are dead last in the West. Other than that, things are great.
7: Mentally, these runs happen uh, with a lot of teams in MLS and sometimes it's just a patch that you have to try to get out, make sure that we're strong mentally uh, and make sure that the locker room stays together.
14: And it's more misery piled on the Whitecaps.
6: And Canada's top male gymnasts are at the Langley Events Centre this weekend for a competition that will prepare them for the Pan Am Games, which begins next week in Peru and long term for the World Championships in October and the 2020 Olympics.
10: Very much the best of the of the best in the country, all really trying to impress, and some of them just trying to uh, fine tune before going into Pan Am Games. But there's a junior category as well who have just had a really successful junior world championships. They're ready to, to step up and challenge some of the seniors going forwards.
6: Yeah, you want to check out future Olympians that go head over to the LEC this weekend.
15: Cool. All right. Coming up on ET Canada Carlos is at Comic-Con with previews of It Chapter 2 and The Order and Throwback Thursday with Seinfeld, Family Matters and Beverly Hills 90210, amazing, right? It's all coming up at seven right after the news hour. For now, it's back to you Chris and Sophie.
2: Oh God, 90210. I'm so excited. <laughs> We're now just two days away from the anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing. It was 50 years ago, Saturday, that Neil Armstrong first stepped on the lunar surface.
1: Global News is commemorating that important milestone this week with a series on Canada's contribution to Apollo 11. Mike Armstrong spoke to Bill Carpentier. Originally from Lake Cowichan, he studied medicine at UBC and was recruited by NASA in 1965. When the Apollo 11 astronauts returned to Earth, Carpentier was in the helicopter waiting for them. He'd spend the next 18 days in quarantine with Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and Michael Collins, serving as both their physician and, on one night, their bartender. Carpentier smuggled a bottle into the quarantine.
6: Unknown to anybody, I mixed martinis. <laughs> and we toasted the flight, and that was the first time... But I really thought, yes, they went to the moon and returned safely to Earth To you guys. <laughs>
2: He is delightful. Mike's full documentary, The Moon Landing and the Maple Leaf, premieres Saturday night on Global at 7 p.m.
1: And as the 50th anniversary approaches, many wonder, when are we going back?
2: answer, as it turns out, could be soon. Tom Costello looks out on the space horizon.
1: No way, Houston.
13: It was 47 years ago when the last astronauts left the lunar surface. Since then, humans haven't ventured beyond the Earth-orbiting space station, but with the discovery of ice and water, the moon is suddenly hot again. This is Blue Moon. Billionaire Jeff Bezos unveiling the spaceship he hopes will land astronauts on the moon. Elon Musk, SpaceX also working on a moon mission, while NASA itself powers ahead with Project Artemis. Americans back on the moon in just five years build a lunar base and one day head to Mars. Former space shuttle commander Eileen Collins.
8: No human has walked on Mars. To me,
3: that's inspirational. Who is going to be the first person on Mars? Will it be an American?
13: But a manned mission to Mars is likely 20 years or more away. The future now isn't just about NASA. It's now about other countries and commercial space business. China wants to put its own people on the moon. Meanwhile, SpaceX and Boeing will soon fly astronauts to the space station, taking over from Russia. It's a very sensitive joystick. It, it is. Boeing chief astronaut Chris Ferguson showing me the Starliner. Looks a little like a fighter cockpit, which is why uh, I really like it. Tonight, 50 years after Apollo 11.
6: It's time to go back to the moon, this time to stay.
13: The world again has its eyes on the stars. Tom Costello, NBC News at the Kennedy Space Center.
1: It's going to be a big party on Saturday for sure. (laughs) Uh, And if you want to do some stargazing over the next couple of nights, is it clearing off?
11: Yes, it'll be a great couple of nights. Now, not necessarily tonight. We still have showers and a risk of thunderstorms this evening, everyone. But tomorrow, things start to settle down. We'll still see some cloud. But Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday look good so far. Hoping that we extend that. But so far, we are expecting showers on Wednesday. Sounds
2: good. Weekend looks good. Mm -hmm. It matters. All right. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night.